I can do things that wet without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail on a journey of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and sailing the river with me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where are we off to today, Mel? Well, Freddie, I hope you brought some plutonium for the DeLorean because we're going to do a little time traveling. Our guest today is going to help us trace the history and evolution of the world's economies to what the themed entertainment industry currently knows as the experience economy. Today, we're hanging out with a true hero of mine, author and speaker and thought leader, Joe Pine. Joe's work has influenced much of my design philosophy and consequently many of the experiences we've designed for our clients around the world. Listeners, this is going to be a good one. I promise. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Hey, Mel, uh, are you geeking out about this episode or what? Uh, Totally. You know, it's going to be hard for me to be succinct because this stuff is so foundational <laughs> in my in my thinking especially uh shifting from uh you know my background in film and film school uh i think i first encountered um joe's writings uh and that of his partners james uh gilmore um in grad school uh and trying to make that application of kind of film and storytelling to uh kind of the the real world if you will beyond entertainment <laughs> Yeah, the real world, the the world that you walk into, <laughs> and and that experience. I mean, well, you know, we totally geeked out while we were talking to Joe, so much so that we kind of glanced over some of the the meat and potatoes of Joe's original theories, the experience economy, and the book that he wrote with uh, with James Gilmore. So I just want to before we jump in. Um, I want to give our listeners a quick review on what Joe calls the experience economy and and see if we can't just kind of feed that into our, our listeners so that when they hear us talking about it inside the episode, they'll be fully engaged with it. So um, it, I'm going to let you do this. What, what is the experience economy and how did we get there from, you know, wherever we came from early on as early man? Well, actually, um, the thing about the experience economy, really what the what Pine and Gilmore do is they, they really create a, a, a lens to look at uh, cultural evolution and kind of the increasing levels of sophistication uh, of how societies kind of evolve and adapt over time. That sounds kind of grandiose, but uh, I, you know, I, I love to use a simple parable of the bean uh, to just kind of explain kind of uh, the, the basic gist of the concept. Um, you know, if you go back uh, thousands of years to kind of a, a rudimentary uh, barter trade type economy, uh, farmers kind of, um, you know, working the land, going to the 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 town, uh, the crossroads, and uh, selling their wares. You know, and, and maybe that's bartering, maybe it's. Uh, getting some currency, but basically it's a pretty simple transaction. And, you know, that, that raw agrarian, um, you know, 
commodity is, is, is not really worth that much. You know, let's, mm-hmm. you know, the parable of the beans talking about coffee beans. So if you're talking about a, uh, enough beans uh, that you're holding in your hands that you pulled right out of the ground with uh, dirt still on them, unprocessed, unroasted beans, you know, you might be lucky in today's economy to get a fraction of a penny. Uh, for that handful really? of beans. Really? That's, that's for it. Just, for yeah. just a handful of beans? Yeah, would, people um, usually guess a couple of bucks, and I'm like, well, you know, those would have to be bucket list beans, and we won't go into that on this <laughs> podcast, but watch the bucket list movie. You'll hear what I'm talking about. It's a whole process. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, you fast forward thousands of years, and you again, culture uh, evolves. Uh, societies uh, get a little more complex. Um, you know, you have, um, you know, these little kind of... Uh, Paradigm shifts, things like the Industrial Revolution, for example, where you have a, you know, a, kind of a, a separation of uh, labor. You have, um, you know, these complex, uh, you know, systems and assembly lines and, and what have you that, that creates a situation where now you can, uh, you know, take those raw beans, um, basically turn them into these commodities, you know. And I use the examples of Folgers crystals. You know, now all you have to do is just add oh, hot yeah. water. You don't have to roast them, process them, whatever. And, you know, if you give me a, you know, a couple of Folgers crystals, a couple of spoonfuls, enough to make, again, a cup of coffee, now it's it's worth a lot more than a fraction of a penny. You know, it might be worth uh, a nickel or even oh my a dime, goodness. you know, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a globally recognized uh, brand. I mean, it's, a, yeah, it's right. even though it's a commodity, it's not you know, premium product, it's, 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 you've reduced all kinds of uncertainty and, you know, wherever you go around the world, you can walk into a back alley and if you, you see Folgers, you kind of know that, that it's safe, right? It's kind of like McDonald's, yeah, how right, many billions right. serve. You don't eat it because it's like the best thing in town, but it, it's kind of predictable. It's, it's safe. You know, you fast forward again into the, the nineties and the, the 20th, the turn of the 21st century. Um, and now you have, um, manufacturing industrial jobs that were such a key part of the industrial revolution economy, you know, shipped off to places like China and, uh, you know, all kinds of countries. Like I said, if, if, uh, you, you take a look at uh, the back of your shirt, uh, you know, <laughs> either you paid a lot of money and it was made in the USA or more likely it's made in lots of other places in the world. You know, the reality is today, uh, this is stuff that's shaping a lot of our economics and politics, uh, in our country. I mean, it's hard to, graduate from high school and just walk into that $30 an hour union job and live the American dream, you know, uh, married with children. Um, and so in this scenario, you've got this kind of, uh, we call it a service or information-based economy. You can either, uh, you know, score and go to work for Google or Pixar or one of these great cultural creative jobs, uh, you typically on one of the coasts, uh, maybe Chicago, or you're lucky to get a job at Starbucks, um, just, just, yeah, right. you know, a job that has benefits. Um, and so that, that really puts a lot of pressure on that middle-class blue collar, uh, type workforce to live that middle-class American dream. Um, and then what, uh, Pine and Gilmore and Joe really talks about that really spoke to me was that idea that as we rounded the new millennium, that uh, people are looking for more than just a predictable, good, fast, and cheap uh, commodity option. You know, that uh, if given the choice, they really seek out these experiences. And that's the example mm-hmm. of, of a Starbucks, for example, the the notion that you step into a Starbucks, you're paying quite a premium, well above that fraction of a penny for the, oh my uh, for goodness, the average right? cup of joe there. <laughs> you're talking a couple of bucks, and that's quite a multiplier. No, f- and four or five. <laughs> yeah, and the question that's begged is, what are we paying for? What are we valuing yeah, as a culture? Yeah, right. It's not just that the beans are that much better. I mean, they're, they're, they're maybe burned, 
you know, yeah, <laughs> to Starbucks yeah. standard, over roasted, <laughs> burned. But the reality is that uh, these guys have tapped into is that you know Starbucks, in fact, is staging a multi-sensory experience, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and you know we'll get into that probably with the conversation. But you know that that's really again the starting point uh, of where I encountered. Uh, you know his uh, his thinking a, a, a few decades ago, and since then uh, we're really excited about the next evolution of that, and can't wait to talk about that transformational economy, which we think is uh, something that we've doubled down on uh, here at Storyland Studios uh, in, in our work. So, <laughs> well, no, that is really, really, it's kind of mind blowing when you really think about it. We these things these things change over time, but we don't really recognize them at the time, but we just shift into them. I think about going to 7-Eleven and getting a cup of coffee was the way you got a cup of coffee 30 years ago. Right. And now the way you get a cup of coffee is For me, it was Dunkin' Donuts, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or Dunkin', right, yep. exactly. And uh, But now it's there's good lighting and the right sounds, and you know it's, it, it, it's, it's for the experience. And we don't balk at $4 for a cup of coffee because we wanted that experience or even the status that comes from walking around with your cup. Uh, So the next step, like, so that's the experience. The next step is something that we talk about in the conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Folks, our guest today is Joe Pine. He's a speaker, management advisor, and author of books like Infinite Possibility, Authenticity, and Mass Customization. But his breakthrough book, co-authored with James Gilmore, is The Experience Economy, which all but revolutionized the way businesses today think about the way you interact with their brands. And honestly, it's part of what makes theme parks such destinations for people on a regular basis. So it's time for the Themed Attraction Podcast interview with Joe Pine. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show with us. It's just really exciting to have you here finally. Uh, thanks, Freddie. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm just kind of trembling and shaking in my boots. I I'm just in awe, man. <laughs> you have no idea the influence of uh, your writings and your thought leadership on uh, not just me personally, but our our practice on uh, just anything and everything I've shared to thousands of people around the world over the last few decades. So just in advance, before I forget to say it, thank you already <laughs> before you even say a well, word. Well, it, 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 it's very gratifying to hear, Mel. I appreciate that. Thank you. And we're also really grateful to have uh, Ben Thompson on with us. Um, say hello, Ben, and uh, we're, we're really glad to have you for the first time on the program. Hey, Freddie. Uh, hey, Mel, and uh, hey, Joe. Uh, I certainly feel um, as if I'm in uh, the presence of uh, three giants uh, this evening. And uh, yeah, as Mel said, you know, um, Joe, you've had a, a transformative uh, effect um, on on my career and uh, how I go about working with uh, with clients and, and trying to take up my craft uh, as a strategy guy and as a, a brand guy. And um, love your writings, and, and you've also been a, a great mentor to me. And uh, just really, really appreciate uh, being with you here uh, this evening in UK time, afternoon in uh, in the States. Well, you know, from my perspective, this is, can only go downhill from here. So I think we need to end. No pressure. <laughs> How do you two know each other, Ben? Uh, uh, what's the connection there that uh, puts you two together? Well, I, I, um, I just had the, the privilege. Actually, I've seen Joe speak a couple of times uh, at different uh, trade events. But the last one was at the Blue Loop uh, Expo. 
Uh, this year it's a Vexpo, of course, because of because uh, <laughs> of COVID. Uh, but December of last year, 2019, uh, Joe uh, was a uh, keynote speaking at the the Blue Loop event uh, here in London, in London United yeah. Kingdom. And uh, he spoke on the experience economy and, and, and gave us his, uh, his insights after kind of 20 years after writing the book. Am, am I right, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually 20 and a half years at that point. But we came out with the uh, re-release as part of the, the launch of the re-release of the book uh, that came out with the new uh, subtitle of Competing for Customer Time, Attention, and Money. And that's what I... Um, uh, that's what I focused on is those three aspects at that Blue Loop event and what they meant for attractions to be able to to capture people's time, their attention, and, of course, their money, given the so much greater opportunity for where to spend those uh, in these days as the experience economy has come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was that I'd spent the, the 12 months previous to that, having having read the book, Joe, around about a year before, in my role as a, a consultant uh, helping theme park operators and attraction operators around the world. Uh, I'd, I'd used you and Mel as inspirations uh, to what I what I used in my practice and talking about how you create a transformative experience uh, in an entertainment environment and how you can kind of get into the world of experience design and, and theming and, and, and so on. Uh, and uh, so it was just a, a great privilege for me to, to meet you and and over the last the last year, you know, you've been kind enough to just give me some pointers and help me on a few uh, few topics. And uh, yeah, it's great to be with you here tonight. Yeah, thanks. Well, the, uh, the, some of the thought processes that you've shared with the world, Joe, uh, are really foundational to what it is that we do in themed entertainment, um, which you know in spades if you weren't at, if you were at the Blue Loop, uh, sharing with Blue Loop folks. Be, and, and that's just so important, just the idea of the experience is what then leads to transformation. And uh, I know that that's why we kind of look to thought leaders like yourself to sort of lead the design creation of physical spaces. Before we have you do the kind of, uh, kind of, uh, executive summary or, uh, kind of the one-on-one download, I'd love <laughs> to just hear a little more of your personal journey of how you even stumbled onto such geniosity. <laughs> well, stumbling is probably the right word. Uh, it, uh, it actually flowed out of my uh, first book on mass customization about efficiently serving customers uniquely. I wrote that when I was still at IBM in, um, in the IBM consulting group way back when, in the early 90s, actually. And uh, after I left IBM uh, and started off on my own, they actually were still a frequent client. I did executive education at the IBM Advanced Business Institute. And one course I did, I did, a, I did a full day workshop basically on mass customization. And toward the end of it, I said something which I often did, which is that mass customizing a good, right, a physical good, automatically turns it into a service. And, and, and the reasons are is that, that goods are standardized, as economists will tell you, and services are customized. They're done just for a particular person. Goods are inventoried after production, but services are delivered on demand when the customer says this is exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. And then um, goods are tangible, but services intangible. Part and parcel of mass customization is the intangible service of helping people figure out what it is that they want. So, so you can see that if you, if you mass customize a good, if you help your customers figure out what exact 
good they want for themselves, then and only then do you make it, right, put it in final form and deliver it to that individual customer. And therefore, that's really in the service business of helping them define and and, and then make and deliver uh, just for them. Mm. So I went through all that. And uh, one of the, the IBM consultants in the back of the room uh, was sort of a smart aleck. And he, you know, he raises his hand. He says, well, hold <laughs> on a sec. You talked about service companies that mass customize. What does it turn a service into? And I shot back that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, whoa, that sounds good. <laughs> hold, hold, hold on a second. I got to write that down. You know, and I, I, I you know, literally made a way and I wrote that down to make sure I wouldn't forget it. And, and as I thought more and more about it, I realized that it was true, that if you design a service that's so appropriate for a particular person, exactly the service that they now need at this moment in time, then uh-huh. you can't help but make them go, wow, and turn it into a memorable event, turn it into um, an experience. Yeah. And that meant that experiences were a distinct economic offering as distinct from experiences were a distinct economic offering as distinct from services as services were from goods. And therefore, that there would be an economy based off experiences. And that's the experience economy. You know, it wasn't there yet, but you could see where, where it would be. And uh, <clears throat> once, once you see that, you can't unsee it. You know, I've had so many people tell me that, uh, that I'm such a futurist. I'm so far ahead of the game and everything. And I said, no, no, no. Walt Disney was ahead of the game, right? Uh, and he understood it long before I did. But it's but that even back then, you know, over 25 years ago, you could see it happening. You could see how companies were, were shifting from, from, from goods to services, services to experiences. You could see how much more economic activity, see how much pre- people valued going out to eat and to bars and restaurants, to festivals, to, to theme parks, of course, sporting events, concerts, plays. You know, experiences, it's also important to understand, aren't a new economic offering. Experiences have always been around. But but basically newly identified that we can separate them out of services and say hey this is different this is this is not the same as you know as, as taking your clothes to be dry cleaned as cutting your hair as as um, you know changing the oil in your car right those are services but experiences are different they're memorable they're engaging they're they're inherently uh, personal. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, the funny thing is, of course, that you can take um, experience design principles and the principles in your book, Joe, and, and push them backwards. So you Absolutely. can you, you, you can look at the experience of going to get your tires changed or your laundry done or whatever it is, and you can you can bring that to life. You you, you can theme it. You can add drama. You can stage it. Right. Just as you would something that was more entertainment based. Right, and and, and uh, you know a couple of things about that, but but um, one you know the experience is this very expansive word, right? So yes, there's this sense that if we're conscious, we're experiencing, and people might say, well, even if you're sleeping, you're dreaming, you're experiencing, you can remember that, right? In that sense, but those aren't economic offerings, of course, right? Just like there's many activities that that. If somebody did it for you and you paid them, would be a service. But mm-hmm. we do it ourselves, like clean our own clothes. It's not an economic offering. We make our own goods. We make our dinner for dinner and so forth out of commodities, and and that's not an economic offering unless you're buying it from somebody else. And that's one of the big things that's happened during the shift to the experience economy is that we used to be responsible for all of our own experiences. 
And not all, but for, primarily we create our own experience. We made our own birthday parties. We made our own Sunday dinners mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and so forth. But now we pay other people for that as this economic shift. But yes, you're absolutely right, Ben, is that we can go backwards. We can say, how do I turn that service into an experience? How do I make it memorable? With my favorite example always is the Geek Squad. That yeah, yes. you know that that installs and repairs computers, and and Robert Stevens, the founder, said, "Well, who better do that than geeks?" So he so he named it the Geek Squad. He costumed them like law enforcement with the white shirts, uh, thin black ties that are clip on, you know, just in case there's an altercation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the things hanging off the the black belts the, with the black pants and and shoes and the white socks, right? Robert says those white socks really make that uniform pop. And then he gave them all badges, right? Real titanium badges, just like the police officers wear. And you, you, you go to your home, your office, say, hi, I'm from the Geek Squad. Slowly step away from that computer, sir. And you go, they go about giving a computer repair experience. And wow. so they take this through, through the elements of primarily a theater, right? The costuming, the props, the, the scripts, the, the, how, the, the how they do what they do, right? They turn mundane interactions into an engaging encounters. And yes, a dry cleaner could do that. A travel office could do that. A retail store could do that. You know, any service well, uh, could uh, do a that. A healthcare offering. A healthcare, you know, absolutely. I, 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 I don't know if you've read um, The not, Undoing not in Project. Britain, of course, but, you know, in the rest of the world where it's not nationalized, you could do that. Oh, hold on, hey, hold on. Let, let's, let, 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 let's, let's not get too personal too early, Joe. Okay, uh, we'll yeah. wait for that. <laughs> well, I've, I've probably shared your yeah, par- yeah. what I call the parable of the bean uh, probably a thousand times, yes. certainly to, to a lot of C-suite executives of companies and causes. And, and you know, yeah, that, that's the, the eye-opening thing when you talk about the, the exponential increase in a value from that raw commodity um, you know, in the kind of agrarian barter trade economy, you know, how much uh, those beans are worth so much more, you know, when you clean them up and standardize them as right. a commodity. Uh, and then, you know, as that evolves into uh, a, a quote, Starbucks experience, you know, kind of a multi-sensory uh, experience. Um, and Right. Starbucks gets two orders of magnitude more value from yeah. the coffee they produce than a farmer that's just selling beans as a, as a commodity, right? That's the power of that, the, the, the progression of economic value, as we call it. Well, well, hold on there, guys. Give me a, give me and uh, some of my readers or our listeners uh, a little bit of a help out. So, will you, will you kind of lay that out for me a little bit better? I, I, I like we're talking insider stuff now. We love it. I know. Hey, there you go. We can <laughs> throw it. Mel does a pretty good job, by the way. I've I've heard him pitch this uh, using a coffee example to coffee companies. uh, (laughs) Well, I I have done it with Starbucks in the room, so I've turned it back to themselves. There you go. I'd love uh, to. Oh, super. Well, I want to hear your (laughs) version. When I do it, actually, it's kind of fun because, you know, I'll always do it, of course, with a Starbucks coffee cup in hand. But really, it's it's really kind of more of a group interaction thing where it's like, you know, literally having a handful of of you know beans it's like mickey and the beanstalk (laughs) you know like your mom sending you (laughs) off to the market you know what are these what what are these dirty unprocessed unwashed unprocessed unroasted beans you know what's a handful of beans worth in today's world you know and and you know the the accurate the accurate answer uh, which most people don't get is really not even uh, you know a penny kind of a fraction of a penny um you know and then you know you go through the the process of you know as you you're into the uh, the service economy, and you can go to Seven Eleven and get your big gulp. 
uh, 99 cent, you know, hot coffee, you know, nobody knows the exact price, but they know it ends in nine cents, 79, 89, 99 <laughs> cents, you know, whatever they're selling in a <laughs> economy. And then, you know, of course right. you can uh, then go to uh, Starbucks and, and guess what an average transaction price uh, in, in a Starbucks. And regardless of what people guess, it doesn't really matter because you know that it's a huge multiplier over that fraction of a penny that the raw right. material is worth. And then, you know, of course, that just begs that natural question of what are we paying for? And, Why? you know, people will come right. up with different things. Well, it's quality, it's standardization, it's expectation. Um, you know, one of the things we've really leaned into is that that idea of um, community, third place, kind of human connection that, that's provided um, with the, the Starbucks offering, in addition to all the other great smells and colors and tastes and textures, that, that that's something that really... At the time that they reintroduced the third place concept, uh, that was really kind of missing, particularly in the United States of generica suburban strip malls. You know, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> Ben has it in England. I grew up with it in Germany, but uh, for us uh, American suburbanites, there, there was a you know a, a gap there. Yeah, we we we, we colonized um, North America or parts of it. You, you colonized us <laughs> right back via yep, the high street. Exactly. Right. That's after we threw you out. But yes. The strip mall of generica. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. The the funny thing is we um we have a wonderful client over here at um Storyland called Tony's Chocolate Only. Oh, yeah, I know Tony's. Uh, I've uh, been to Tony's in Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, we're uh, they're um we're actually helping them to to put together their their brand home, their visitor center just up the river from um, their Burz van Balage center there in Amsterdam. And and Tony's have realized, you know, yeah, this great this progression is 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 going to take in place. But but you know what wealth uh, is not equally distributed by any means through that supply chain, and particularly in the cocoa industry, uh, there's an awful lot of inequality at the at the the front end of that, which is in Ivory Coast and and, and Ghana. And so they set up their whole business um, with a mission to eradicate modern slavery, child labour in that in that supply chain. That they are the ultimate transformative business, mm. because everything that they do is about raising awareness inspiring people in the industry to act and then and then change get people involved in being in being advocates so it's kind of ironic that they've totally understood i don't think um maybe hank has read the experience economy and i've that the the, uh, the chief chocolate officer and i've certainly <laughs> recommended it to him but he's understood it you know in, in, implicitly that 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 um consumers these days want to be involved in mission and purpose they want right. to buy from brands who are who are like them and who can help them become more like the people they, they, they want to be, you know, the customer mm-hmm. is the product. Yeah, I'd love to get your thought mm-hmm. on that evolution from the experience economy to, you know, I, whether we call it the transformative economy, uh, we, we, we like to talk about purpose-driven design. Um, is, is that something that's always been part of your thinking or is it something that's evolved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that's in my nature as well as the nature of my uh, partner, Jim Gilmore, and co-author on the experience economy amongst other works um, is to ask what's next, right? To look at something and don't live with just what you see as the next step, but ask what's after that, what's after that, what's after that. And, uh, and so we, I, you know, I did that immediately with, with um, experiences because I, ha- I now had a heuristic, right? The heuristic is that, um, that goods and services become commoditized, Right, that that allows a shift. It was, it was goods becoming commoditized that caused manufacturers in the in the 70s, mostly 80s and 90s, then to shift into the service business, uh, whether that's leasing or taking over data centers or whatever those might be. 
and then services commoditizing, causing them to seek differ seek differentiation and shift into experiences. Right on the on the supply side, there's also demand factors why we shifted from goods to services to ex to experiences. So commoditization is like this law of gravity that drags you down year after year. If you do nothing else, you will be commoditized. Mm. And when I realized then, and, and I show that as arrows on this, this the red arrows, bad, right? Commodization is bad. It's going <laughs> down, right? And then customization, I show as green arrows on this progression of economic value because it's good and it lifts you up. That if you work with an individual customer to customize something for them, that's exactly what they want. And you can, at Tony, Tony Chocoloni's, create a custom candy bar, for example, choosing the ingredients and what goes on the, on the, on the band, right? If you do that, you can't help but be differentiated. Because, because you're doing something just for me. It's obviously not a commodity. So then asking the question, can experiences be commoditized? Well, yeah. I mean, the, probably the first industry to really face that is theme restaurants. Because right? you go there once, you don't really have to go back again. Yeah, that's right. You know, they, they haven't designed them all that well. So the second time... I, I remember the article about uh, America's last non-themed restaurant <laughs> clo closes. Yeah. Right, that's right. Uh, it's like the article about how a Starbucks opened up inside of another Starbucks. That there were so many of them. And, and although we could talk about how all places are themed, as, as academic Mark Gottdiner talks about in his book, The Theming of America. Uh, and so it may, not, it may not apply in the UK, but at least in America, all, all things are themed. Um, but, uh, now I got to think of where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> so this is my, this is my senior moment. Like, where were we headed? <laughs> well, well, we, 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 we were, um, I, I suppose where I was trying to, trying to go with that was, um, I, I talked to brands oh, a lot. I, know, about wait, I remember, I remember. Right. Sorry. <laughs> go, go for so, it. so sorry. So, <laughs> No so worries. experience to be commoditized, right? Because the second time isn't good as the first, the third time isn't good as that. The hallmark is is been there, done that, right? If, if yeah. customers are saying been there, done that, yep. then it's commoditized experience. So using this heuristic, what happens when you customize an experience? What happens when you design an experience that's so appropriate for this particular person, exactly the experience that they need at this moment in time, then you can't help but turn into a, what we often call a life-transforming experience. In mm -hmm. other words, an experience mm -hmm. that changes us in some way. So that's a transformation, which is the fifth and final economic offering in this progression of economic value from commodities to goods to services to experiences and then to transformations. So, and, and that's where, as you, Ben, you already used the term, the customer is the product with transformations. Is that doesn't matter. All the inputs don't matter. It's only the outcomes. Do they get what they wanted? You know, and healthcare is in the transformation industry. Fitness centers in the transformation industry. Consultants, you know, like us, are in the transformation industry. No business hires any of us unless they want a better business as a result. That's right. You know, coaches of all stripes are in the transformation industry. And in that sense, it's really hot on the heels of experiences. And, and note, it's built on top of experiences, right? It may not be one life transforming experience, maybe a set of them, but we as human beings only ever transform, only ever change because of the experiences that we have. As the saying mm -hmm. goes, we are the product of our experiences. And so transformation is an important thing for any company to to recognize and 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 melt your point about about meaning and purpose and, and, and Ben you mentioned that too. Uh, is meaningful experiences are at least a half step to transformation, right? Because there's, there's more than this ephemeral memory that exists, that, there, that it becomes a sort of defining thing in their lives. And um, 
And I think it is increasing, particularly in times like we are in now with this corona crisis, that that people understand, like, you know, we don't need more stuff. We're at peak stuff. Mm-hmm. But what we really value is the the experiences with our loved ones, with our friends, with our with our colleagues, even with complete strangers out there in the social community that give our lives meaning. And and that's what people are valuing today and will continue to do as we come out come out of this. Joe, um, one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you uh, for about a year uh, is help me understand why you think this that the transformative stage is final, is the final <laughs> stage of right. the progression. And, and, and I'm, I'm really intrigued because, as you already alluded to, you know, you, you and Jim are always looking for what's next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit to me like, and I'm being provocative here in, intentionally, uh, when people used to talk about the end of history. We've arrived. You know, right. here we are. It, we're, we're, we're in a sort of nice, gentle growth. Everything is going to be great. You know, kind of like 1940s, no, 1950s kind of thinking. I'm, I'm, tell, just bring that, yeah. educate me. I, re, I really want to understand right. just why, to that's, piggy, piggyback why you think on that, it's I've always thought of it as kind of a, yeah. you know, at least a kind of an evolution of economies getting more and more sophisticated uh, and, and cultures uh and so, you know, again, is it is that kind of the the, the last stage of evolution? Yeah. So, so it is something we looked at, we examined. We could be wrong, but I don't think so. That there isn't another economic offering, and it is because of the the three dynamics in the um, um, in the progression of economic value of 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 commodification and then commoditization and customization, right? So these three C's. Commodification is what we talked about where you turn something into an economic offering. That if I do it for mm-hmm. myself or somebody just gives it to me, it's not an economic offering. It's only when you commodify it and sell it to somebody that it becomes an economic offering. And and so we look at what are the what are the different things you can sell? And it's all based on what you charge for, right? That as a business, is, any business is what it charges for. So if you if you charge for differentiated stuff, you're in the commodities business. If you charge for tangible things, you're in the goods business. If you charge mm-hmm. for the activities your people perform, you're in the services business. And you're in the experience business economically. I mean, a lot of people give it away in order to better sell their goods and services, including Starbucks, um, which is still charging for the service of making you coffee rather than explicitly for the experience. But if you charge for time, that's when you're economically explicitly in the experience business. That means an admission fee, a membership fee, initiation fee, a period fee, you know, all these different ways of charging for time because that's what people value is they're valuing the time that they spend with you, whereas services are time well spent, experiences are time well saved, excuse me, experiences are time well spent. So then transformations, where you guide people to change, what matters is outcomes, where you charge for the demonstrated outcomes that customers achieve. And we see that more and more in in healthcare, in consulting, in higher education, and, and so forth, where people companies really get paid based on, on how well they helped you achieve your aspiration. And so one is, 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 can you find another way that people can charge for, companies can charge for something? We haven't been able to find another way that we can't categorize under one of those. So that's number one. Number two, transformations can't be commoditized in the same way because, as, as Ben again They're individual. 
Right. The customer is the product. They're individuals. Human beings resist commoditization. We have inherent, unique, God-given value that, that cannot be commoditized. And then, and then lastly, you look at the customization arrow, is that what happens when you customize the transformation? What happens when you design a transformation that's so appropriate for this particular person? The only thing that we could think of that would be anything other than just a better transformation is, is to perfect people. Right, is that you get to that mm-hmm. transformation where we're perfecting people? Well, perfecting people is not the province of you know of economic man. That's the province <laughs> of God. So for those reasons, we say sorry. You know, this is it. Five, Can't five, go any oh, further. You know, again, I'm open to people every once in a while talk about one and so forth, and I explain why. Okay, nope, not that one. So I'm willing to listen because again, I am always asking what's next, and and just like sometimes at some point so you get to the end. Join us in church uh, Sunday to discuss uh, right. perfection. That's right. <laughs> How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they are felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life, and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now, 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. Well, um, I got to say, this is so timely. I, I literally, before this conversation, I was on the phone with a 40-year Disney exec, and we were kind of going back and forth, uh, just kind of, you know, sharing war stories and, you know, kind of seeing that the arc of, uh, particularly of executive leadership and kind of corporate culture uh, within uh, Disney and, you know, almost, uh, you know, without naming names, almost kind of feeling like there was a, an intuitive sense of, uh, of experience. Uh, and then there was almost this kind of regression <laughs> to a commodity, you know, kind of, uh, you know, hey, let's have the mall guy and be in charge of uh, the parks and experiences and Imagineering. And let's really kind of think of everything as individual business units. And it was all about shareholder value and and basically, you know, I think as we look forward, we're definitely seeing, uh, you know, the C-suite executives uh, start to talk about more than financial ROI. And, and really, um, in today's day and age, you know, understanding that, hey, there are multiple stakeholders uh, beyond just your shareholders. Um, you know, you have to talk about your employees. You have to talk about the communities you're involved with, um, you know, maybe your global supply chain. Um, do, you, do you see any of that correlating to um, kind of you know, to, to me, it all just brings home the truths of what you're, you're talking about and what people care about, what our culture yeah. cares about, uh, rather than just the cheapest price, uh, you know, good, fast, cheap, right, and ugly. Exactly. You know. Because because if you focus <laughs> as a company on the cheapest price, guess what? You're going to commoditize yourself. 
right? And, and, and once you start doing that, your employees understand it and they react differently and then your customers understand it. So it is a, a, um, you know, it's a path that you don't want to start, start down. Uh, and you really want to, to understand, you know, like what business are you in? And you know, one of the things about Disney is I did work with, not, not a ton of work, but, but some work with them over the years. And it always bugged the heck out of me that they talked about being in the entertainment business. I said, no, that's only one type of experience. There's other types of experience. <laughs> Theme parks are not about entertainment. They're about escapism they're, and so forth. They're in the business of creating memorable experiences. Right, exactly. Memory, memories that last a lifetime. Right, exactly. And so... I call um, them magical little memory so implant chips that that grandma and that granddaughter that's, that's right. <laughs> both planted in their brain when they first meet a Disney princess. No barcode, no expiration yeah. date. And frankly, no price tag because right. they can keep jacking that price up, and <laughs> right. people still start showing up. Which yep. they do. Which they do. Yeah. And Vicar- there is vi- vi- vicarious. Ex- there's no experience more powerful than a than a vicarious one, where you, you as a as a parent or a, a grandchild or a, or a grandparent, and not only experiencing having your own. You know, but you're seeing it in your grandparents' eyes or your child's eyes or your, you know, it, it's it that that is it. I think we can probably all of us now thinking about we're all probably parents here. Those, those special moments that may, may have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we were there with our with our children in a you know a family group in a in a themed environment, and it was just so special. You can't put a price on that. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. They're, they're, they, those are experiences. Those are defining moments that really matter. Those are the ones that give life meaning. And it gets back to that. You know, particularly if you're the one to introduce somebody to that experience. And you, I love you. Vicarious is right because you're like you see it through their eyes, right? When yeah. you see it through their eyes, you see the joy that they're getting. Then that's just a, a, an amazing mm-hmm. thing. But related back to the the meaning, Mel. Um, is is one of the I'm also doing work with a colleague Kim Korn on how companies can thrive forever. You know, rather than fall into mediocrity and eventually fail, as Disney came close to doing before Michael Eisner came back uh, or came on the scene, uh, and many other companies have done, particularly sort of you know, during this crisis, those that are not set up to to thrive forever really do have ha- have had problems and, and, and many have failed. And one of the core principles in, in, in doing it is, in fact, to have as a company a meaningful purpose. Right? A meaningful purpose is a statement that really guides what people do, that allows people to align themselves with the company, give their lives meaning because what they're doing is going beyond making a buck. Right? You know, uh, money should never be the purpose of any company. Right, it, 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 money is the measure of how well you fulfill what your purpose is, mm-hmm. and you need to know what that purpose is. You need to provide that meaning for the company as well as as as, as sort of uh, um, uh, reaching outward to your customers, where they grasp that as well and align who they buy from based off of that meaning, as well as 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 who you work for based off the meaning that that you get out of it. That those things all have to align together. And in fact, I don't know if you recognize this. But as Storyland Studios, as great, uh, you know, as a company that really does a great job in helping clients come up with what their th- experience theme is and then fulfill that, is purpose and theme are just merely different levels of the same intention, 
right? Intention, I think, is the biggest word that that you Mm -hmm. have. We always talk about how work is theater, and you can have an acting intention for how I do this particular interaction with customers. Then above that is your theme of the experience, and all those acting intentions have to align with that. And above that is your strategic intention about what difference you're trying to make in the world over the next three, five years or whatever. But above that is your meaningful purpose. It's, it's who you want to be in the world and what you're trying to fulfill and accomplish. And all of those are, are you know, are, are, are threads that you pull on the same level. They're, I usually show them as concentric circles that, um, that, that all come down to where that's the most important thing is your meaningful purpose. And then, the, and then actually you should drive down to, through your strategic attention, through the theme of your experience, to, your, to the intention of every actor on your business stage, every, every worker. I wish everybody could see Ben's head yeah, nodding uh, so aggressively. I mean, this is, I know your, your heart, your passion, your life. He's of, a believer. You know, helping companies articulate their story uh, with strategic storytelling. Yes. Um, ben, I, I was curious on your take, you know, the yeah. alignment, uh, the influence of Joe, but, but really the process of how often uh, in the C-suite of uh, some of the, the large organizations that we work with or that you've worked with, um, you know, do they, could you, could they use a, a hand up or a, a help with clarity of, of that, 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 that clear story that they tell themselves and that they are trying to tell the world? Um, as opposed to just pulling something off of a coffee, uh, you know, room, uh, you know, <laughs> conference room, you know, printed wall. Yeah, um, uh, it's, um, it's such a joy to be part of the conversation. Um, I think what's interesting, particularly in businesses that have been around for, for a long time, like some of the ones we're talking about here, uh, if you go back to Walt Disney or, or Howard Schultz or, or even Henry Ford, you know, that they were trying to solve a problem. You know, they saw something that wasn't right with the world where they could really make a difference which would help humanity, you know, help us be better, construct a a, a better community, civilize, organize, you know, just make a difference with the talent that that they'd been, been given. And so they they came up with something which no one saw. You know, Steve Jobs would be another obviously great example. They, they, they were visionaries, but they, they understood problems and they, they thought about solutions. And then, you, you know, you wind forward, gosh, you know, 50, you know, 100 years in the case of some of these businesses, and um, you become vast and you become complex and you become global and you have extremely complicated product lines and divisions and, and, all, and all the rest of it. And, and anyone who's seen... And happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love the uh, Ford versus Ferrari movie oh, yeah, or Le, Ma- movie. Le, Mans, yeah. Le Mans 66, as it was known on, on our side of the, the, the pond as a, a really great example of, you know, that kind of corporate uh, structure and they lose the essence, but then they find Absolutely. it again. So, so a lot, a lot of what we're trying to do um, is we, we liken it sometimes to archaeology. So we're, we're trying to dig <laughs> and, and sift through um, the, the history of a brand, through what, what made it special, you know, what, what, what are those nuggets? And then we, we try and capture that and, and we put it into, hey, you know what? This is your purpose. This is why you exist. Exactly. This is what you're trying to do. And, and, then, and then we bring in... You know, it, it's funny when you were talking about um, this elevating, Joe, of this kind of purpose. We, we talk about uh, crafting stories that lift the spirit. That's what that, that's what we're all about. We want people to be able to, you know, raise their raise their gaze. 
you know, from, 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 from the immediate, think about um, lifelong, you know, eternal purpose and, you know, what, what is of real value in, in, in people's lives. And, and Mel and the, the guys have just got this, just this, so such talent of making space kind of speak that story, you know, that making every single element of a design, whether it's about master planning and kind of architecture down to interior design and material choices and, and so on, just making everything uh, sort of speak in design speaks. Um, so yeah, Mel, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I do have one, I want to come back to this idea of the finality. Um, <laughs> Joe, and, 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 and talk about, so I, 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 um, I, I often read books five years after they come out. So I read Naomi Klein's This Changes Everything recently. Very, very uh, affected by it. And my, my children are becoming a real pain to me and, and challenging me a lot about, um, you know, climate crisis and so on. The transformational economy is about me as an individual. What about we? You know, what, what about the communal us? What about transforming communities, nations, you know, the whole of humanity to, to collaborate more, to recognize some of the challenges that we face on, on a global level and, and, and changing that kind of di dynamic as, as the next stage? As the, as the next stage beyond transformation? Well, as as a, maybe as a, if you, if or transformations a, is is one A, could that be one right. B? You yeah, know, active yeah, transformation. Yeah, the the way I think about it there is as is think of of many offerings, you know, because again, like changing the world isn't an economic offering, right? But many offerings have beneficiaries. You know, for example, um, well, is that um, you know going to school. Uh, uh, a parent may be paying the money, or the or the the citizens may be paying money through taxes, and that's where the money's coming from. But they're not the real customer, right? I mean, technically they're customers, but the beneficiary is the is the is the kids, is the students, and so forth. Insurance as well. You know, you think of of uh, again, you know, the NHS is, is is different over there, but you uh, you know, you pay insurance uh, uh, money to an insurance company where they're customers, but the insurance money is the one paying the hospital, so the insurance company is really their customers because very simple fact is a customer is the one who pays you money, right? I mean, just dictionary definition: customer is the one who pay you money. But uh, but we as, as the as the customers of the insurance company are the are the beneficiaries of that and need to be treated as as customers in essence. Right, and so that can be true even with with inanimate things like the world, like the community, like a garden, like uh, um, a you know watershed area, you know whatever it might be that you're doing. That that it may not be the customer, but it's the beneficiary of the transformation. And it's also true that you're going to have very little chance of transforming whatever that entity is without first transforming the people who are going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with true, like an internal transformation of a company. You've got to change the people in the company before you can change the company. And all of that is, is sort of wrapped up together. So yeah, 1B, 1A, 1B, that could, that could be a, a good way of, of thinking about that. I think a good example of that is uh, with our friend Anthony Esparza when he was at SeaWorld. Um, you know, he he was actually struggling for a while uh, with the idea that uh, 
you know, theme parks, all they ever thought about was story, story, story. And that's a great bell to ring. Story is the thing that changes, uh, you know, that makes people remember things. But uh, he was starting to recognize that there's something better than that. Like, like Mel says, story forms you and it transforms you. And so he started uh, to think about that in relation to SeaWorld. And so SeaWorld had gone through such a uh, devastating uh, PR nightmare with Blackfish and, and all of that that went into that. And as he when he came on t- onto the scene for them, it was after Blackfish, and his job was to recover that co- help that company recover their story. And the realization that they are tied in with helping sea life, not hurting sea life. They are there right. to uh, uh, change what is happening out in the ocean so that sea life is built up and has uh, has value and, and that we see these sea creatures as as co uh, it was like a global rescue on this operation planet, right? rather than just, you know, profiteering off so- of uh, marine mammals. Right? Just entertainment, like you said, Joe. And so it's that kind of of thinking that is transformation to your point, Ben, uh, a, a collective transformation. SeaWorld C- is al- allows for that. That when we go in there, we see these creatures, and we are empowered and excited to go and make a change in the way we, you know, flush the toilet. It's it comes down to an individual action that can I was really curious, Joe. I mean, how much um, economic value is there? Because I, I have this kind of theory that it's kind of kind of in us to kind of be wired to long for kind of things to be broken, things to be fixed, restored, renewed. Uh, and, um, and, and the idea that, um, you know, before I even change myself, we're just, again, wired, uh, just like, you know, we're talking about uh, Ben's kids, you know, uh, you know, really upset about climate change or, or at least more morally indignant than, than, uh, you know, uh, our generation might be just the idea that, um, People want that, uh, and if you give them two equal purchase decisions, um, if they have a choice to, to, you know, to buy option A for the same price as option B, if option A uh, happens to be the thing that uh, changes the world, uh, why wouldn't they, uh, you know, pick that? And uh, you know, the, the question is, you know, it's one thing if they're at the same price point, but is there is there kind of a, a metric or a you know quantifiable premium that people would be willing to pay for that? Tom shoes, uh, you know, or uh, you know, Warby Parker right, and, glasses. You know, and many, many, many companies present that choice, and what you find, even you can even look at a Toyota Prius, sure. you know, as an example. <clears throat> many companies present that choice, and what you find is a lot of people will 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 do it, but it's never the majority, <laughs> right? At least so far, it's never the majority that do that. That most people will take the cheaper price. Partly, it's particularly around goods, but what about uh, the experiences? I think Tesla is a great example they of have going from Prius to Tesla, where I I would mm-hmm. argue exactly what a what a completely different right. story that is, right? In in terms of what he's doing, including I, I read this somewhere recently about you know the part of the Tesla story is including the ability, hey, if it doesn't work, we're going to colonize Mars, and I'm working on that too. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so I thought that was interesting, um, but there, yeah. So the 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 
it, you know, we do face all of those choices, and companies need to get get very good at what they're doing. I think, but I think there's opportunities about making it much more explicit around not just goods, but the experiences and then the actual transformations we have. For example, I've, I've been involved with the Transformational Travel Council. And one of the biggest growing parts of the tourism industry is what's called transformational travel, where, in effect, you're going to change yourself or to have an effect on the world uh, for the positive. And it gets more explicit, uh, you know, it's much more explicit when you're doing that and recognizing, again, that we only change our experiences. And when we travel, when we get out of our daily routines is when we're most open to change. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's a big thing. I mean, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but you've recently worked on a nonprofit experience that is that is like that, right? I mean, that at least gets people thinking about what what possibilities are for helping the world. Yeah, that out. was basically the idea was uh, for you know um, L.A. area school kids or uh, folks that can't afford to get on that uh, that airfare uh, for whether it's Expedition mm-hmm. by Disney or Adventures by Disney or. Uh, transformational travel experience to a developing nation, you know, is there a way they can kind of drive uh, up the freeway and, and, and kind of get that experience. That was the, the poverty encounter that Freddie uh, was kind of our, right. originally our client and creative leader on. Um, and uh, it's, it's Freddie, what's, what's your sense of, uh, I, I, you've been there uh, live in country with uh, some of the folks that travel with you and you've been there yeah. now uh, through the, the poverty encounter and, uh, did we pull it off? Uh- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny, Joe. So um, we we took these actual experiences that uh, uh, we had had, but people from Children's Hunger Fund in country, in these different places where people are and children are living under extreme poverty, and tried to bring back that experience into a warehouse in Silmar, uh, and uh, we really did a good job at doing that. You know, the the sense that um, that crumbling cement in Haiti looks on your TV just exactly the same as crumbling foam uh, does at Universal Studios when <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to be pretending like things are falling on top of you. It looks identical uh, until you're there and you can smell the the cement and see the rebar bent in front of you. We wanted to recreate situations like that. And really, that was what that's what people show up to do. They know there's almost this fear when you show up to a charity to start to help is, I know I'm going to be changed. I'm reluctant to it or I'm afraid of what it's going to be for me. And so uh, that was the goal of Poverty Encounter was to have people walk into these experiences, see and for a moment forget that they're uh, in here at home and try to at least sympathize with this, the plight of these kids. I just um, sent an email to the current director there, and Elisa Whiteley. She, we had her on the program at some point um, a couple years ago. She sent me this. In the first year, they had 6,500 visitors. 5,000 volunteer hours resulted from that because at, at the end of the experience, they walk out into the warehouse where there's boxes ready for them to start packing food. Um, and then 50, 57,000 meals were raised through donations in that moment. And um, at the beginning of this year, attendance was exploding. They saw 2,000 visitors in just January and February, which then cut off after COVID. So the recovery for that is going to be big. But the idea that you can come for an experience and leave transformed, 
that, that that is the purpose of this experience is not just that you would go oh that was neat you know i or write a good review put five stars you got to go see that no 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 that i'm changed and my children are changed and in that hope that the and in that scenario you had to design for all five senses that you had to have the humidity in a romanian sewer you had to have this the smells the textures <laughs> the weight of the bricks in the nepalese brick factory um, but, uh, you know, yeah. kind of relaying back, I mean, this is a themed attraction podcast. I feel like we've got some great MBA yes. uh, material, you know, to put out to the <laughs> world there, um, you know, for, uh, those of us that are involved or, or even listeners and fans that, that actually love first world, uh, theme parks and, and museum and themed attractions experiences. I, I was just curious in terms of, you know your take, Joe, on uh, the 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 experiences, the companies, the 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 places that are doing it the best, uh, both uh, from an experience perspective as and or the transformational uh, perspective in terms of uh, what you've been able to kind of see, experience, benchmark. Is is Disney, Starbucks still kind of the 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 top of the heap in terms of some benchmarks, or are there some up and comers that uh, people need to be aware of? Well, uh, yeah, Disney has has for a long time been at the top of the heap in terms, I always call it the world's premier experience stager. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and they, they excel in so many ways. And you look at even the success of Disney Plus, which was sort of great timing for them, just as people got to stay home. Hey, we got to get this great new uh, Disney uh, streaming experience into into our homes. Um, but there are a ton of, of great uh, uh companies and and you know probably we could probably name every one of your clients right <laughs> and, and look at the great experiences they pr- provide the one that again that is a that is a casualty of covid that i have loved the most when done work on uh is the um uh, carnival cruise lines and their ocean medallion the the uh, John Pageant, the chief yeah. experience innovation officer there, who came out of Disney. In fact, uh, he told me how much I how much of an impression I had on him, like Ben and 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 Mel, you you've mentioned uh, uh, earlier today with workshops I did for Disney back in the 2000s, where I the thing I impressed on him is like is is that one stop calling it entertainment, <laughs> two two the, <laughs> the organization was product and service development. I'm like it's an experience. What is with the product? service development and then three was you're a mass experience and you need to figure out how to customize that experience i said and it said it may not be today may not be tomorrow but at some point you're going to figure out how to customize this experience so it's not just like we're feeling part of the masses but that it's being done just for us and that helped lead to the magic band of course which is the first foray into that being able to at least identify who somebody is and and make differences based on that and then John took it to a completely new level with the with the Ocean Medallion, which is an IoT device like the size of a quarter, where you can now identify every person on the ship. And you know who they are. You can greet them by name. You can remember their preferences. You can even remember things like when I'm in the pool deck with my kids, I, my favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon, but I'm in the bar with my buddies, it's a mojito, and I'm in the, the restaurant with my spouse, it's a glass of Shiraz. You know, same person, but different context, different markets that I'm in. Uh, and then they create a customized, uh, a personal itinerary. 
for every person so that they can, and they make personal experience invitations based on what they learn. So every interaction they have with anything on the ship is an opportunity for them to learn more about that individual person and family mm-hmm. unit and, 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 and even greater group like a wedding party or whatever. Uh, and the more they learn, the better they can customize. The more they customize, the more the customer benefits, the more the customer benefits, the more they're willing to interact and the more they can learn. And you get this learning relationship that grows and deepens and can last from one cruise to the next cruise to the next cruise, even on a different brand. You know, among the nine or so carnival brands that they have, you can remember who people are and learn from that. So it really is the first thing that really mass customizes all the goods, services, and experience elements uh, to individual people. And I think that that, that is going to be a huge thing uh, in the future. That's great. We call that, um, Joe, we, we, we build off... Uh, you're thinking that we call that connected storytelling. Okay. So um, one, one of our clients is uh, actually my old employer of Mars. And so we're, we're working with their M&M's brand. M&M's is a huge, huge brand, biggest confectionery brand in the world, actually. And so they, they have a very distributed business model. So they have a very large part of their business in, uh, in Walmart, CVS and Tesco and Carrefour and all these guys. Then they have their stores and they have websites and they have other other offerings. Yep. You know, we're, we're, we're helping to create that same medallion-like data-rich experience where you know, each interaction is an opportunity to learn more about right. your customer and then therefore customize the offer. But we're, we're, we're enriching it with with story, you know, with with purpose. What is what is Mars trying to change about the world? You know, one of the things they've they've set up is the Mars Wrigley Foundation. They have a Better Smiles initiative, which is about uh, oral health, dental care in developing world. They've also committed to be completely sustainable within a generation, I think, by 2030. So our task is to sort of piece these things together, connect, connect the data with the story, with the experience, and then and then give people, you know, these, yeah, transformative uh, experiences. Well, one so, of the ways of doing that is for us, you know, it's been uh, super handy, uh, like you mentioned with Disney+. Plus. Uh, in today's era of having, uh, you know, for, uh, as many folks that we have on the spatial storytelling side, uh, folks on physical bricks and mortar, if you will, kind of experiences and environments you can step into having uh, the same size team on the interactive digital storytelling uh, side. And, and quite often for us, it's, it you know, it's about making that seamless. But what I've found is a lot of people have almost a false dichotomy of kind of this, uh, especially in this post, in this COVID quarantine, you know, this, this idea of your eyeballs, especially your kids' eyeballs being glued to these screens, right? This digital addiction. Yeah. Uh, I would love your take on, um, you know, the d- digital versus physical, you know, uh, which, which uh, <laughs> you know, as we move, are we going to be just plugged into some matrix and, and living in VR for all of these transformational experiences or, or you know? Which, well, I, which side I, of the, that yeah, wall I, has uh, more opportunities for transformation? It, the answer is <laughs> both. I actually wrote a whole book on this, Mel, on, uh, called Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier. And it is about fusing the real and the virtual. I think that's where the biggest Agreed. opportunity is. Good answer. Now, one of the Thank sen- you. I had, I, <laughs> all right. I had, I had a short chapter on reality, right, before I got into virtuality and then all the ways you fuse them, right? And in the reality chapter, I always remember this is, is one of the things I wrote is reality will now and forevermore provide the richest of experiences. You cannot replicate reality with digital technology absent something Mm -hmm. like the Matrix where you can actually fool your brain into smelling and tasting and so forth, but it all tastes like chicken. (laughs) 
and, uh, and um, um, but what virtuality does, what technology enables, is experiences that are simply pos- impossible in reality. And now when you combine those two with, with fusing the real and the virtual, then, then, um, uh, then I think that's where the, the, the biggest opportunity is. You know, I look at something like The Void. I'm sure you're familiar with The Void. Yep. And what I love about it is that, you know, like, will virtual reality ever become a big deal in the home? No, unless you've got enough money to have a room dedicated to it, because otherwise you're going to put your foot through the through the TV and you're <laughs> and you're going to trip over the furniture and all this. You need that dedicated space. And what the void does is they made a purpose-built environment for the virtual experience that you want that you have, and that I think is key. So that if you were to walk up a couple steps in the virtual game that you're playing, guess what? There's a couple of steps there. You walk up. If you open a door and it's the outside and it's cold out, you feel the fan of the cold you the feel of snow perhaps on your face you can if you if you actually scent air to be peppermint you actually lower your temperature and and, and you can put pine needle scent and so forth in there uh, there's a torch where you reach out to, to to pick up this torch to light your way and guess what there's a physical object you actually pick up you, you lift it up and if you get it close to your face you can feel the element it's not actual fire it's not going to hurt you but you can feel the heat element there uh, with it, and I think that's the way that we can do that. And you and you see that with with dark rides in particular, where you can um, uh, put the basically screens in front, where you have that technology, yeah. where you know exactly where everybody's eyeballs are, and be able to do things in 3D and so forth. But it's built around this physical movement of of the ride that you're on. And, and so I think it is that fusing of, of the real and the virtual where the greatest uh, opportunity lies. But there'll be times when we just want the really real and there'll be the times when we want the virtually virtual. <laughs> uh, but it's in that middle ground that I think has the greatest opportunity. Joe, you've, um, you're actually training um, folks on, on this whole way, way of thinking now. Um, you, you have your course, which I'm, I'm committed to do and, and would have done this year had it not been for, right. you know, events that we know about. I can't wait to do it in person next year. How, how do you bring people into this whole world? How do you use, you know, the virtual technologies and so on to kind of train people on this way of thinking? Well, yeah, we have a, a we have a, an experienced county expert certification course that we, we've been running since 2006. And uh, this was the first year that we did virtual version. I was, and I was, I, I, I don't want to say surprised. I, I just was pleased at how well it went virtually. You know, when you take advantage of the medium and the, the different things that you can therefore do, do one of the things I love is like you, you press a breakout room closing in Zoom and people are actually back in the room. You don't have to go after all the stragglers, <laughs> you know, in the hallways as they're on their <laughs> yeah, phones right. and, and so forth. So that's one advantage of it. Uh, but it really is an immersion in the experience economy. We walk through all of the main frameworks in the book. Uh, teach them to you, teach exercises about how you can use them uh, to train others or to, to apply to your business or to clients' business, including uh, theming and, and customization and, and, of course, theater. And we get into uh, 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 transformative experiences, that, that transformation level as well. And so everybody that goes through there is really equipped to use it for themselves, for their clients, for their, their uh, business. I I literally can't wait. Um, uh, <laughs> All right, that's a, that's a commitment, right? You know, you got your partners here, right, Mel and and. Uh, 
They 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 Freddy. they already know. It, it's already in the in the budget for 2021. No, I, I I I'm I, I can't wait, Joe. Yeah. Really looking Definitely forward to doing it. Definitely a no-brainer for sure. You know, I I, I did uh, notice that we uh, you you mentioned the word theming in there, and we we really only talked about like theme restaurants is probably the worst example. Uh, just that that correlation as right. we're rounding out just with the themed attraction podcast here. Um, just when you talk about theming and. Uh, how that correlates to uh, experience and trans- transformation is that uh, some some you know people incorrectly apply that to just kind of layers of uh, styrofoam and fiberglass and you know kind right of exactly the, and, the people use the word theming what they really mean yeah, is or, propping. or dusty ferns <laughs> right. at a fern bar <laughs> right it, right that's just not the same thing the theming is coming up with I mean the theme is basically the the underlying um, uh, organizing principle of the entire experience. It does not have to be in your face like a like a theme restaurant. It doesn't have to be fantasy like a like theme park rides and so forth. But it's simply the organizing principle of the experience. I'll give you I give you a great example. Geek Squad, the the motif right, the outward representation, sort of the propping is law enforcement. The actual theme that Robert Stevens put in place was comedy with a straight face. Right, that people get a kick out of being with you as a Geek Squad agent, but you maintain that composure uh, of it, and you do things to to make that happen. Right, it's a wonderful and invocative theme, and easy to remember. So we work a lot with with clients to help them come up with that theme. And when and again, again, when the theme becomes the for for where it's not just at an experience level, but it's at the entire company level, which I've done with with a number of hospitals, then it does become that meaningful purpose again that guides and aligns everything that's going on. But once you've got the theme right, then you need to fill that out with what are the impressions you want customers to take away from the experience? What are the positive cues you design in there so that they get those impressions and that fulfill the theme what are the negative cues you eliminate and get rid of because they don't fit how do you mix in memorabilia and media right the social media that people want to share and make that part of the experience and then finally how do you engage or when it's virtual evoke all five senses as you as you mentioned earlier mel is being core to, to what you're doing you know so it's mm-hmm. a way of bringing together all of that there's many other things of course we got to focus on but that allows you to really create a cohesive experience an experience that hangs together an experience that won't have you reaching for your smartphone to check your 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 email because you are there and you're in and we that found experience. that that the clear articulation of that big idea and that internal logic that that true north uh, star right. that just helps you edit out all the extraneous uh, details and rabbit trails that uh, you know people tend to to go down and, and even waste money on and and uh, and just yeah. Oh right, right. You know, we're, in some places the, the the obvious theme is everything but the kitchen sink because <laughs> it's just like this amalgamation of stuff that doesn't hang together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. When you're thinking uh, fern bars and themed restaurants, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right. Well, Joe, it's been a real pleasure and honor to have you here on the themed attraction podcast uh it it really does open our eyes to what the the core of what people are trying to do when they build something like a theme park a ride a an experience or a retail or dining experience we we really need to think those things through and we if we start from the wrong place uh, we'll probably end up in the wrong <laughs> wrong place. And you just, uh, your books and, and everything just really continue to help us get that focus right up front. All right. Thanks, Freddie. I appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting both you and Mel as I have uh, been 
And then, Ben, I look forward to you in our certification class in 2021. Fantastic. We will join him. That's great. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you know, as I listened to Joe talk, I couldn't help but think of the TEA Theas these past few years. I mean, it was interesting to talk with him about Poverty Encounter and stuff, but there's so many transformational concepts getting awards in the themed entertainment industry. Like I was thinking about uh, two years ago, there was the African American Museum on the mall in in uh, Washington, D.C., stuff like Poverty Encounter, um, things like that, or we talked about in the, episode, in the interview, SeaWorld. Um, there was even one where people could engage with the land with a, uh, a fl- just through a flashlight hike, and that that experience created transformation in the lives of people who experienced those things. So, what I'm finding more and more interesting, and this interview with Joe just brought it right to the forefront, is to see how principles and ideas like the experience economy and the transformation economy can grip a whole sector like ours. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, it's almost an evolution of the the old edutainment term. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was the converge, convergence of the museum and the themed attraction industry. You know, I know for me, when I think about the ultimate transformation uh, experience, for me, Epcot opening uh, was oh, yeah. one of those. I mean, and, you know, I actually was living in Europe. I, I never even got to visit it until I was an adult. But just the what I saw on, the, on TV, what I saw... Uh, on international media was so mind-blowing to me. Uh, it was such a bold vision, and it really did ultimately lead me down a path of wanting to study community design and urban design and, and placemaking on a larger scale. Um, but, you know, what we're, we're staying pretty busy <laughs> helping companies <laughs> and causes. We have a separate uh, subsidiary that's just focused on nonprofit cause-oriented work. I mean, it, the, the idea of for-profit and non-profit companies and leaders just needing help clarifying the the why you know the why yeah, they that's exist right. uh, and you know and getting beyond just uh, having a well-crafted wordsmith mission statement uh, gathering dust uh, you know in a frame on a wall uh, they really need it to be something that uh, is just the 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 post-it note that everyone wears on their forehead you know that that it's it's the fire burning uh in the hearts of uh not only their employees or team members but but even their audience uh their markets that want to select them uh or pay a premium uh for their their product their experience their service Mm -hmm. um and so it's uh it's uh something that i think isn't exactly a niche uh market i think this is something that uh, we're wired for and hungry for people want to change themselves and change the world so why not provide that yeah that's that's totally true i i i've been talking to a lot of people in the last few weeks a lot of people in our uh sector a lot of people a lot of young people who are trying to get into uh themed entertainment and i am I have them in mind. These conversations that I've had recently, um, they are the people that I have in mind when I think about this episode. I think that having concluded this episode, they are going to take so much home from this and want to put it into whatever it is that they're doing and projects they're working on. Well, you can either join the Peace Corps or you can uh, design theme parks to change. Whatever, you know. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Peace Corps or theme parks, you choose. Uh, I, I think there's value in both. Well, it's been an experience, to say the least. Transformative, really. Uh, <laughs> but what, what do you say we get this boat back to the dock, Mel? Let's roll. Until next time. Thanks, Mel. 
The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We want you to know we don't take your listening for granted. We love to make this show and we love that you love it too. Would you mind helping us out by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts? That helps others find the show. So grateful to you. We want to thank our very special guest, Joe Pine, co-author of The Experience Economy, Work as a Theater and Every Business a Stage, which demonstrates how goods and services are no longer enough. What companies must offer today are experiences, memorable events that engage each customer in an inherently personal way. Get in touch with Joe at strategichorizons.com, on LinkedIn or Twitter at Joe Pine, and buy the book on Amazon or wherever industry-bending books are sold. Get in touch with Ben Thompson at ben at storylandstudios.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest creative advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson, other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry's the author of a brand new book on the history of regional theme parks. With contributions from Rob Decker of Cedar Fair, Rick Bastrop, and our very own Mel McGowan, Imagineering an American Dreamscape tells the story of regional theme parks and the strong-willed visionaries behind them. Pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or on RiverShoreCreative.com. You know, Mel, Barry is kind of a foodie. He loves to find little out-of-the-way places that serve only the best cuisine. Last week, he introduced me to a new spot in the jungle they call the Cannibal Cafe. They serve the best finger food I ever tasted. The tofu wasn't too bad either. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>